You're listening to the Stephen Wolfram Podcast, an exploration of thoughts and ideas from the founder and CEO of Wolfram Research, creator of Wolfram Alpha and the Wolfram Language. In this ongoing Q&A series, Stephen answers questions from his live stream audience about business and innovation. This session was originally broadcast on September 29th, 2021. Let's have a listen. Okay, hi everyone. Welcome to another episode of Q&A about business, innovation, and managing life. This is an intense day of, of live streaming and so on for me. Actually, the small delay was for because of a technical glitch, not because of a human who needed a break. Um, all right, we had a bunch of questions. So I'm, I'm happy to try and answer questions about any of those topics, business, innovation, managing life, and so on. Um, Let's see. Um, it's a question here from Ethan. Do you believe that billionaires should exist? So, you know, it's a, it's a complicated, the answer to that is, is definitely yes. If you want things to happen in uh, the world, you have to have different kinds of incentives for different kinds of people. And I think, and, and it's also the case that there are things where you need a concentration of resources that somebody is going to be able to make the decision to do something with. You know, innovation is rarely done as a result of a committee of people saying, let's take a risk. We're all going to decide. We're all going to do this very innovative thing that's never been done before. Uh, 25 people are all going to vote. Let's do this innovative thing. It's not going to happen. Those, you know, most innovation in most areas, whether it's science, business, whatever, is one person really believes in something and has the resources to try and make that happen. And I think that that's a pretty important thing for society to have a situation where that's the case. Now, you know, those resources might be somebody just got some army to be behind them and they're going to make it happen by through some, some you know, military, whatever, or somebody has the financial resources or somebody has the sort of uh, leadership resources to make something happen. But somehow there has to be, to, in my observation at least, and I think a lot of the lesson of history, is there has to be a person who is going to be the, the person who believes in this thing and leads it to happen. And so, you know, one of the dimensions of that tends to be the accumulation of money somewhere rather than uh, rather than saying, let's spread it all out and, and have everybody be sort of collectively responsible. I mean, I think it's worth realizing that, uh, you know, is a lot of kind of, is money a good thing, a bad thing, whatever else. I, I have to say my own observation about this is, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of fond of talking about the negative value of money. I think that there are positive values and there's negative values. Um, I mean, I know that for myself, I've been fortunate enough. I've made a decent amount of money in my life. I could have made much more money. I chose not to because I didn't think the things I would have to do were things that I particularly wanted to do or things that I found particularly interesting. And I think it's one of these things. And, and also, it's like you make a semi-infinite amount of money. What are you going to do with it? it there, are, there are different scales at which you can buy and do different kinds of things, but it's partly a question of, uh, you know, is it, is it actually, you know, if, if in the end, you wind up with all this money and you're going to say, well, I got to give it away somewhere. Well, it's not actually that easy to give away money other than just throwing it away, so to speak. Uh, that's a lot of work in its own right. I, I think the thing that I've noticed is people, 
you know, there, there is a tendency to say, to think, and this is kind of a, one of these sort of crass truisms of, you know, uh, make more money, be happier. You know, my own observation of people is people mostly have some kind of general set point for how happy or not happy they are. And they, you know, people can be in the external stimuli have an effect, maybe a temporary one, maybe a longer term one, depending on what happened and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But in the end, there's some sort of set point and there are people who, however much money they make, they'll never be happy. And people where it just doesn't matter very much. They'll be very happy. They'll just do their thing. They'll, they'll you know, uh, it doesn't matter. They don't need the, you know, the, the fancy car or whatever else. They're just happily doing their thing. And it, it's largely um, independent of, of money. I think the thing that can happen is, so, you know, the positive value of money, as far as I'm concerned, is the things that it enables one to do. Well, a couple of things. First of all, if, if one is trying to do things, like I spend a lot of my effort trying to create things, trying to figure things out, things like that. And time that I might be spending doing that, I might be spending doing things that if I had less money, I would end up having to do myself, that I can delegate to other people or that I can just pay for, buy, sort of on the open market, so to speak. The fact that I can do that means I have an extra some number of hours per day to do the things that I really want to do, which tend to be creative kinds of things. So that's a sort of a positive value of money. Another positive value of money is for me, for example, I have some larger project that I want to do. It's like, can I do this project? It's gonna take 20 people. It's gonna take some amount of time. It's gonna cost a certain amount of money. Well, if you have a certain amount of money to spend and you have the psychological setup where you say, yes, I can spend it on this, then, you know, then that's something which enables you to do more and to achieve the things you want to achieve. And that's another sort of positive value of money. I mean, that's a complicated one because you have to realize that, for example, I you know, have a company, obviously, that, that, um, that I run. And you know, a lot of the time when it's about an innovative project, it's like, quote, spending the company's money. Um, you know, I, I own a very large fraction of the company. So in some sense, it's spending my money. But I think of it a little differently than if it's like, uh, you know, am I spending my savings doing this thing or am I spending the company's resources doing this thing? It isn't really that different, but I think of it differently. And I think that's a not untypical way for people to do these things. And I, I tend to think that that's a... Uh, I find it a sort of healthy distinction to make, so to speak. I think also it's important to realize that when you put money into a project, there's a certain amount of money that's a good thing to put into the project. And you can put, you can put too little and you can put too much. You can put too little. It's like, we're going to do this project, but we have just absolutely not enough resources to do it. And, you know, while the people might try their hardest and might be very capable people, there's no way they can succeed because there's just pieces of what needs to be done that just you can't afford. The other thing you can do is put too much money into the project and you can end up with something where people are like, oh, yeah, no problem. We'll just hire all these things and we'll do all this stuff and we'll turn all these cranks. And turns out there isn't the kind of the energy that's needed to actually make the project work. You know, it's one, one of the things about corporate sort of setups that I, I think is, is always a, um, uh, a sign of something in terms of the too much money type issue is whenever you see sort of a corporate headquarters where, you know, a corporate, I, I like seeing corporate headquarters where the thing is nicely designed, 
and you know it's 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 got a certain aesthetic value and things like this but when i see the giant you know i don't know super expensive gold plated model of a a bull or something in the in the lobby it's like uh, i don't know that this is that's usually a bad sign i mean one of the one of the really shocking things about companies is sometimes when they advance to the point of building their fancy super fancy headquarters that's the moment when things are going to go horribly wrong and the number of kind of partly finished very grand corporate headquarters is, that are around in the world is uh, is surprisingly large and and uh, it's kind of a a you know that's a sort of a too much money scenario type situation i think um and i think it's important in in uh, for example one of the issues uh in some some places it's like well there's things that can be done in a sort of scrappy way with uh, you know some number of people where everybody really matters in the project and there are things that can be done in a kind of plush luxury way where it's like you know the big you know sort of uh you know wheel in the kind of the the professionals who are going to do this in a in a very um uh plush way and then it doesn't get done so but you know so it's a it's a complicated balancing act i think but then on the on the sort of negative side of um uh you know and, and by the way in terms of the sort of personal positive side of money i mean you know that there are all these things that just make one's life easier so to speak and some of those things it depends a little bit what you know what matters to one i mean in 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 terms of and what one chooses to have matter to one um in uh you know in what what makes sense to spend money on and so on but but i mean becoming then then one can look at sort of the negative value of money and there are there are all kinds of things that, that for example when for some people i think it's particularly true when people wind up with sort of money that just sort of arrived that just sort of didn't they it wasn't the result of lots and lots of work for a long period of time but they were either in the right place at the right time or just you know or they won the lottery somehow and just sort of a bunch of money arrived and then there's a question well what do they do with it well it's uh, sometimes honestly it is a very very negative thing for people's lives um i mean i i have to say i think i've been responsible personally for for uh doing what one might think would be terrific which is you know helping various people through uh, things uh, involved with our companies and so on and, and to to make a fair amount of money and it's you know sometimes that's positive they go and do good things with it sometimes they just sort of stop working and say well i'm just going to hang out and um and spend the money so to speak and the people where they would have done you know interesting things which would have been very fulfilling to them but they didn't because it's like well i don't really need to work i can just hang out and uh, and molder so to speak and i think that's a that's an unfortunate negative value of money i mean the other thing that tends to happen is and that's particularly true when people inherit money and so on is you know the number of kind of just horrendous stories of you know somebody was leaving their descendants x amount of money and everybody was happy until the moment when the descendants started arguing about oh you should get this percentage of that and etc 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 and if the person had had less money and left none of the money you know had no money to leave to the descendants everybody would have been happy as it was everybody was unhappy because and that's one of the kind of negative value of money type type scenarios at least as far as i'm concerned 
I mean, I would also say, I, I suppose this is a, a personal observation that, that um, there is a certain tendency among, I would say, uh, some, but not all, of the sort of, I, I mean, I know many people who have lots of money. And, you know, I would say there's, there's sometimes a tendency to uh, kind of, uh, I would say, there's always a question of sort of there's a there's a base integrity and morality that people have, and that is largely independent of whether they have a lot of money or don't have a lot of money. There are people who are terrific, as far as I'm concerned, in the in the basic integrity and morality side of things, who have lots of money. There are people who don't have much money who are terrific in those regards, and there are people on both sides who are not terrific in those regards. And it tends to be perhaps more manifest sometimes maybe not, I don't even know that that's true, in the, oh, you know, this is a problem and it really we're really not doing the right thing, but we can paper it over with money, so to speak. And personally, I, that really bothers me, but, you know, that's, a, that's kind of a, a, a sort of a personal response, I suppose. Um, but it's one that makes kind of the, uh, 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 the you know, it, it's one that's an apparent negative value of money to other people, um, uh, the, but I think, you know, in, in the end, I, I have to say, I, I'm, I, I always suspect, but maybe it's just my kind of view of the world that um, in the end, it's sort of bad for the, it, I, I, I like to think that the things I try to do are things where I will feel good about the things I've done. And I won't say, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. That was a really bad thing to do. I feel really guilty about that. I, I like to avoid ever getting into that situation. Um, but uh, uh, anyway, that was a was a rather rambling answer to the question of of um, uh, well, I would say something something else about about money and amounts of money and so on. I mean, there there are different scales of money where you can do different kinds of things, and where uh, you know it, it's like oh, you're going to start a company. Well, if you have a few million dollars, you might be able to start a, a small company. If you have you know a few, and sometimes uh, you know there's a question of do you do you go on funding something yourself? Or do you kind of broaden out the base of funding for something? So, for example, let's take well, let's take a, a science project, okay? Uh, which you know, this is a, a real issue for somebody like me. It's like, okay, we got a science project. We're going to do the science project. Okay, let's spend a million dollars on it. Okay, let's say, well, it's going to be a bigger science project. Let's spend five million dollars on it. Um, the question is, at what point does it actually become self-defeating? to say, I'm just going to feed money into this thing. And at what point is it better to say the thing has to uh, live on its own and, uh, uh, and sort of be a self-sustaining creature, not just something that is uh, kind of um, uh, umbilically fed money to exist? And, and I tend to think, and again, it's, it's a complicated question, where the right dividing line is. I've certainly seen many cases where there are entities where they were just like, doing things that would, could never make money. They were not intended to make money. That's fine, but they're, they're just fed money. And then it's like, well, feed us more, feed us more money. And in the end, it would have been much healthier if those things had actually had a value system and a mission where they were intended to be self-sufficient, so to speak. Now, now, sometimes there can be a mission that is strong enough that it doesn't matter that the thing has this sort of self-sufficiency and kind of living in the ecosystem of the world and sometimes I think there is sort of the idea, oh, it's just going to be umbilically fed money, so to speak, and that's um, uh, and, and that ends up being bad. And, and it's also complicated because the leadership of organizations 
you know, there will be a typically a first generation leadership where somebody started an organization, the founder, CEO, whatever it is, the founder, uh, you know, executive director of, of some organization, whatever it is. And that will be one type of motivation. You know, the organization gets started in some uh, in some direction, objective, character that is defined by its founder. And that's a thing. But then you get to the next generation, you know, the person who takes over, the person who takes over from them, and so on and so on and so on. And at that point, it's it's often this this whole question of if if the if the entity is just being fed money and it's got, you know, the, the director number, you know, uh, sort of the, the fourth different director, and nobody really remembers what the point was anymore. And it's just sort of reverted to some generic, well, we're fed money and we operate and we, you know, we have, you know, cogs that turn and so on. It can be not a very good situation. It's a better situation if that's, for example, a for-profit company that um, uh, is, is trying to, or, or even a, a nonprofit that has a very definite mission, that has a very well-defined mission, that isn't something which is just sort of do good for the world type thing. Um, the, you know, I think that that, uh, um, but, you know, for, for example, in, in the case of, let's say, science projects, there's, there's a question of at what point the thing should somehow become self-sustaining, even if self-sustaining just means the thing's out there and it's having to make a case for itself and raise money for itself rather than just saying, oh, we'll just sort of sit back and we'll be fed as much money as we need to kind of thing. Anyway, just, just uh, I suppose, my, my point of view about, um, about some of that. All right, let's see. Um, <laughs> Mikhail asks, why do billionaires make, make space rockets? Um, well, I know two examples. Uh, of people who do, I'm not sure that that is a, uh, let's see, is that generalizable? I think we have a, an N of two in that case that I'm aware of. Um, I think, uh, you know, one of the things is that for people of a certain age, including my age, um, the space program was the kind of, when people were growing up, it was sort of the shining vision of the future and the shining sort of uh, presentation of what our civilization might be able to achieve. The fact that there was kind of a long hiatus and really pushing that hard, I think it's kind of neat for people to say, look, the thing that, that I saw people wondering about for the future when I was a kid, now I'm a grown-up with you know, the resources to actually be able to make rockets. Uh, why don't we try and do this type thing? I mean, myself, I don't happen to be that interested in it. I was interested in those things when I was a kid. I'm glad I didn't kind of hang around for 50 years waiting to see whether that sort of whole business would take off, so to speak, again. But um, uh, I think it's um, it's one of those things. I mean, I, I think sometimes people, um, uh, you know, the, these things which are sort of grand technology vision kinds of things, sometimes they are a worthwhile end in themselves. And sometimes just the goal of doing something great will be worthwhile and doing something where, you know, it's like, like the, you know, land a person on the moon. Is it really super useful? Is it really important in terms of, you know, immediate kind of uh, we need to, you know, uh, we, we, we need to be able to send postcards from the moon or whatever? Probably not. But the process of doing something great, so to speak, is really worthwhile. In the case of the space program, in the in you know in the 1960s and so on, that drove 
a whole bunch of sort of enthusiasm for technology. I mean, I've, I've kind of thought that some of the things, you know, the, the idea of making a sort of a, a grand, let's, you know, let's build a big project to do this, it almost always has sort of uh, spin-off benefits. I mean, I've seen this even with our, with our physics project in the last couple of years. You know, the effort to do that has led to all kinds of technology development. Now, interestingly, that piece of basic science is feeding back to give us a really strong set of suggestions about, about technology and so on. But even just the effort to do that project, and, the, and I find this with lots of projects that I do, the effort to do the project kind of, you know, causes one to want to build up technology. I mean, I know sort of in the history of technology, I, I don't know all of this history, but I, I know, um, you know, Howard Hughes, who was a sort of an earlier generation of the, um, uh, the billionaire set, so to speak, was famous for having, doing all kinds of things. Like he was interested in, you know, I don't know, racing planes around the world and things like this. And then, well, he needed a radio. So then he had to sort of try and set up to have a radio that would work over the horizon, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that eventually turned into, you know, a bunch of technology development, which turned into companies and turned into a bunch of, I don't know, one of the satellite TV companies, right, is, is, uh, was sort of the, the, the longtime descendant of that, of that project. And it's one of these things where if you try and do something that is something hasn't been done before and it requires all kinds of scaffolding to be able to do it, the scaffolding may be valuable, even if the thing itself is like, well, you care about it, but it's not clear anybody else does. I'm thinking a company that we've been much involved with, which has um, uh, had sort of a science direction that's very interesting, but it's much more long-term, but then built technology around doing that science. And the technology is now super valuable and, uh, and very important to people. So let's see. Um, <laughs> Mikhail is asking, do I have a fancy car or a boat? I definitely do not have a boat. I don't have a particularly fancy car. I have a rather generic I mean, it's, I don't know, I don't, no idea. What is it? It's a, it's a, a uh, right now I have a, a BMW X something or other SUV-ish type thing, which I got because I looked around, I, I keep my cars on average about 10 years and um, the, uh, which kind of tells you something right there. But I was like, like I got so fed up with the previous car that I had, which was kind of a nice car, but had just awful, a sort of um, electronics and, and interface. And I just looked for one that had sort of a, a basically generically okay, you know, the voice recognition system can usually understand my accent and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, type of thing. Um, but uh, so, uh, no, I, I mean, it just doesn't happen to be something I particularly, uh, you know, it's like I, I, I need a car that works and doesn't cause me trouble and doesn't break down. But um uh, that's that's about it. It's not something where I'm where I need the finest of 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 that. I mean, when you say what kind of computers do I have, you know, yeah, I have sort of a, a whole bunch of top of the line computers because that's something I really care about, and um, uh, you know, it makes a difference to me whether my computer, if my computer is is you know ten percent faster, then that's actually significant to me. It's probably not relevant to me if my car is ten percent faster. I just don't care. And so I'm not going to put resources into that. Um, oh, Mikhail is pointing out, I'm wrong. By the, the number of, of, of space rocket people, that's right. It's N of three, not N of two. My apologies. I, I just don't happen to know the third one. So um, the, uh, uh, 
a comment here that BMW is considered a, a, a fancy, well, okay, fair enough. It, it's, a, it's a question, if you look at the distribution, I, I don't know, I'm sure we can generate it in Wolfram Alpha of you know, how much do cars cost? Um, I'm sure that, um, uh, yes, it's probably not, it's not at the, it's, a, it, it's no doubt above the median, but it isn't, you know, it's not a Lamborghini or something like that. Um, and, I, and I will say, you know, no question, you know, I made enough money in my life that the, that the kinds of things that are sort of very practical, uh, you know, uh, sort of, you know, stay in a nice hotel, fly first class, whatever. These are things which I'll do unless there's a good reason not to do them, but I won't do them just for the sake of doing them. But it's like, it makes one's, you know, it means, okay, I stay in a nice hotel, I actually get a good night's sleep, as a, and then I can be, you know, productive the next day, as opposed to, oh, you know, it was terrible and unbelievably noisy and, you know, whatever else, and, uh, uh, and then the next day is a total waste. So it's, it's one of these things where, as far as I'm concerned, that's a, a scale of money where, where it's worth spending it because it makes my life sort of better and it's it's you know it's a, a level where I can spend it. Now if you say, should I, oh I don't know, that I mean there's an interesting question. I mean there, there are all these kinds of things. Like I have no desire to have a boat. I'm just not interested. It doesn't, it's not something that uh, floats my boat, as one might say rather rather in a rather silly way. Um, you know, do I care about you know donating money to a university that'll put my name on a building? No, I absolutely do not care absolutely profoundly do not care. So not, not a thing. Do I care about uh, you know, different, different types of things that one can spend money on? Many of them, I just don't care. Do I care about spending money to you know, do some research or to create some service for the world that um, we can give away in some fashion? Yes, those things I like. You know, I'm interested in that. So it's something worth spending money on. If it was a question of, for example, another thing that I suppose is probably revealing of my interests is, you know, if somebody says, look, do you want to spend money to get some research done, let's say? The answer is, if I'm doing it and I'm involved and I really care about it, then yes, the answer is yes. If it's like, will I give somebody else money to go and do this and just sort of do their thing? It's like, well, I don't, I don't particularly care about that. That's not you know, yes, hopefully somebody can do that and it's nice and, you know, I'm all in favor of them being able to do it, but that's not a thing that is of direct, you know, to me, it isn't, it isn't, um, uh, it's not something that, that I'm going to particularly care about. It's the same thing, I suppose, in the case of uh, companies and, uh, you know, it's again, these are personal kinds of issues, but, but, you know, for me, I like our company very much, partly because I like the products we make very much, and I like the technology we deal with very much, and I'm deeply involved in those kinds of things. If it was just a question, for me at least, of owning a bunch of components, so to speak, where it's like, oh yeah, there are these people making software, and it's like, I wouldn't care about that. It's not something I'm interested in. You know, Owning it isn't the point as far as I'm concerned. It's doing it that's more the point. And of course, in, at least in my way of doing things, so to speak, I want to be in charge of doing them. I don't want somebody else telling me what to do. That's again, more of a personal kind of uh, thing. Now, you know, if I was interested in different kinds of things, I might be interested in owning all those components because the point might be the kind of the whole sort of uh, 
you know, not game, but the whole activity of, oh, I have this component and I own this and I own that and I can put them together and do this and that thing. That's a different kind of activity, not one that I personally have been interested in, but it's a different kind of thing. And, and when one talks about scales of money, there's a question of, you know, at what point do you get to the point where you can buy companies, uh, personally buy companies and things, and then there are all kinds of different things people can do. They don't happen to be that interesting to me, but to other people, they might be very interesting kinds of things. Um, I think it's, uh, uh, you know, uh, there's a, uh, and there are things, that it's always worth realizing that there are plenty of things where, you know, you spend an arbitrary amount of money, like somebody could say, I want to spend, I want to spend enough money that I can uh, figure out that I can make a microscope that can um, uh, see whether see the discreteness of space time. Okay, so I want to. I'm, I'm just going to spend enough money to do that. Well, turns out that's not a question of money. That's a question of figuring out a bunch of stuff. And you know, you could pay an army of physicists, and it might just not be possible, or it might be something that's straightforward to do. It's something where there, there are plenty of things, and you know, there are plenty of things in the kind of human world where it's just like. You just can't, you know, it, it um, and there are plenty of things where, where, which relate to people and people's relationships with each other and so on, where it's just like injecting money into it is usually disastrous and usually just leads to trouble rather than leading to, to positive outcomes, with some exceptions, perhaps. But, um, uh, you know, so anyway, the, um, uh, all right, let's see. Um, uh, question from D0. How do you determine if your time is being well spent? It's a good question. Um, you know, I think sometimes in real time, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm just not interested in what I'm doing. This is not a good way to spend time. That's one thing that can happen. Another thing that happens is, you know, I remember the thing that I did. You know, I went to this event. I wrote this thing. I did this thing. It's like, did was that a positive thing for me or not? Did I, you know, when I did this thing like this before, did it have a good outcome? Now, the question of what counts as a good outcome is an interesting question. I mean, sometimes there are things I'll do where I'll, you know, like things I'll write or something like that, where it's like, well, I'll keep on referring to them for years and years and years afterwards. And it's like, yeah, that was a good thing to do. And there are other things where... I'll like, you know, practically forget what I did. And it's like, well, I might as well not have done that, so to speak. For me, I think one of the things that's that sometimes a challenge for people is, you know, you do a certain set of things, you have a certain set of achievements. The question is, what do you do next? And do you say, I have these achievements. Okay, to be worthwhile, for the next thing to be worthwhile, it must be at least as big as these past achievements. That is a career-crushing belief. I mean, which I've seen plenty of times where people have certain achievements, often quite early in their lives, and they say, I'll never do anything that's smaller than the achievement I've had so far. And there are also cases where you know, and, and somebody will know for themselves, you'll know the thing they've already done at age 25 is going to be the biggest thing they ever do. It's all downhill from here, so to speak. And that tends to, again, lead to this phenomenon where people are like, I got to do a bigger thing. I think that's disastrous. And I have to say my principle is, I mean, like right now I happen to be working on something which is 
a piece of uh, sort of technical stuff, which I just find interesting. And, um, uh, you know, I've noticed a terrible thing about myself, which perhaps I shouldn't admit to in live streams. But, but uh, when I start working on something where I'm having a good time, I start kind of whistling to myself and the whistles are, are terrible, tuneless. Well, not completely, but largely so. But the thing I've noticed is that's a very good audio indicator of whether the thing I'm doing is at least something that I'm finding fulfilling in real time. And, and I do find that some of these things where I'm just working on studying simple rules and what they do and studying essentially what amount to kind of formal mathematical-ish kinds of things, I like doing that stuff. And the thing that I found is that anytime I do one of those things and it's solid, it's really, it's a thing where maybe it was a you know, at the beginning, it was like, well, I'm just studying this particular very simple thing, and it works in this particular way. And um, uh, I am, um, but so long as it's something where I've studied in a very clean, minimal way, I'm pretty much certain that that building block will be a thing that will be used in the future. And, and that's, you know, I, I enjoy doing it in real time. And I'm confident that that building block will be something that I will care about in the future, and maybe other people will too. So I think that's a, that's a good thing. Look, there are things that I, I personally don't find very fulfilling. I mean, the, there are things where, oh, I don't know, it's, uh, I don't know, you're doing some interaction that's essentially a negotiation and you're trying to persuade people to do things or you're trying to get some group of people to move in some direction and it's a lot of kind of, um, uh, kind of uh, wrangling of people, so to speak. I, I don't find those things particularly fulfilling myself because I figure, look, at the end of it, it's like I'm interacting with somebody and, you know, if everybody was sort of maximally sensible, I just say, hey, this is a good idea. And the person will say, yeah, you know, that's a good idea or they'll disagree with me and, you know, I'll figure out something better or whatever else. Um, but, you know, it's a simple thing, whereas the process of wrangling is something where at the end of the day, it's like, what did I spend my day doing? Oh, I spent my day wrangling stuff. That's, you know, I don't really have anything to show for it. Um, again, maybe that's a more a, a personal thing. I, I think that um, uh, that that's um, that that would not be my my choice of, of thing to do. You know, when it comes to projects that one does, and one says, "Well, is this an important project or an unimportant project?" It's often really hard to tell because they're projects that are super satisfying to me, where I think on a fifty-year time scale, a hundred-year time scale, these things will be important in the world. Okay, great. You know. That's, that's after my time. It's like, okay, that's nice if they're important for the world. It's not, um, uh, but it doesn't, you know, but I like doing those projects. And there are other things where there's much more short term, you know, the world says, oh, that was a good thing to do or, or whatever else. Um, and, and that's a, a different kind of thing. But I think in the end for myself, it's, I, I you know, I, I guess I figure out for myself what I think is worth doing and I kind of ignore, to some extent, the, the feedback of the world of whether, oh, the world thinks this is a great thing to do now, or the world doesn't. I mean, there are plenty of things I've done decades ago where people finally realize, you know, oh, yeah, that was a good thing to do. Okay, great. Um, you know, it's, it's not like I don't get the, um, uh, I mean, maybe, again, it's personal psychology, but I mean, it doesn't, it's like, look, I knew that was a good thing to do. Thank you, world, for, for agreeing with me finally after some number of decades. That's nice. I neither get the, oh, wow, look how cool that was. I was right. You know, I should feel proud of myself. Nor do I get the, um, uh, 
kind of uh, oh world you're so silly for for you know for not it doesn't really it's just a thing where i can kind of inexorably see it's going to happen and yeah it eventually happens and it's like okay that's nice um but it's not i would say it's not a, a big kind of uh, psychological thing i think um you know there are plenty of cases where uh okay for in my role ceoing things part of the goal of of ceoing things is to have an entity to which you can delegate a lot of stuff and so certainly in terms of you know am i spending my time in a sensible way it's like well let me delegate that if i can there are plenty of things where i really can't delegate it because there are things which i either want to do myself or i think i'm the best equipped to do them but it's like if i can delegate delegate and that tends to be and, and when that fails i sometimes get quite frustrated because it's like i know i shouldn't be doing this i know i shouldn't be working in the trenches on this particular issue but uh you know for some reason the delegation process has failed now sometimes i found that you know there'll be some problem that's getting solved or something which seems like it's deep in the trenches and and very kind of low level and but i realize i know how to do it you know i've got years of experience and i can do it and it's going to take me an hour to do it and otherwise people are going to flap around for months trying to do it and i might as well just do it and you know i had thought in past years that whenever one did that it would be like the people whose job it was to do that would be like oh my gosh we're you know we're so useless we can't do it but but actually they don't think that i mean they just think look you know i come in and it's like look i saw something like this 30 years ago maybe i can help solve it because i have that experience from 30 years ago and people are like okay great at least you care about the stuff we're doing and you understand something about it and that's a good thing uh Mikhail is asking how many computers do i own the fact that i have no idea i know that my standard uh complement of of cores that i run parallel computations on is 157 right now i notice that because it comes up as the as the as a number quite frequently do i build them myself no um i the person who does system stuff for me i think may build some of them i'm not sure Let's see. Um a couple more things and then I think I have another another meeting. There's a comment from Finn saying they have a 9 to 5 job, graduated in physics, work as an analyst, tired when coming home, want to learn more skills, advice. Boy. Uh I mean, you know, I I it's it sounds a bit self-serving but the thing i've just spent like 40 years building which is our both language technology stack this is a really good thing to learn because it's the thing that enables it's kind of a springboard for doing kind of computational x for all x and it's kind of the you know i taken to describing it um as sort of an artifact from the future as something that people think should exist and it actually does but not everybody knows that yet so that's a, a definitely i would say if i would have picked a skill number 1 based on well obviously i spent 40 years working on it but but uh, so i think it's worthwhile otherwise i wouldn't have put all that time into it and i use it every day to do all kinds of interesting things i would say that would be my my number one skill to pick i would say that this this whole question about you know you do something which tires you out i mean i don't know i i i seem to touch wood and and still at my ancient age i still seem to have quite a lot of energy and um uh the um uh, but i think the reason i have energy is not because 
I'm particularly, you know, not because my mitochondria are working harder than, a, than anybody else's mitochondria. I think it's partly because I'm doing things that I like to do. And so I think by doing that, one essentially generates, you know, that, that's a way that one ends up sort of generating energy for oneself. It, it, um, uh, I, I remember years ago, uh, another one of these, um, uh, years ago when my wife used to, used to try and take me along going shopping, I would always like just, just get incredibly tired when I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm, there's some medical problem with me because I'm just getting incredibly tired. And I realized it was some kind of shopping fatigue. I just don't, it's just not something I, you know, I am, it's not something I'm good at. It's not something I care about. It's not something I know about. And I, you know, just got really tired doing it and um, uh, just felt really, really tired. And yet, um, uh, similarly, when, if I, if I get my, my wife to like, let's say, go to a science museum, okay, she, she won't make it past, um, uh, um, you know, it's just like, like a, the same effect. I think it's a question of what, what is it that one is actually um, uh, interested in and um, uh, she's not, yeah, she's an art museum person, not a science museum person. Um, but um, and um, the the um, uh, it's um, it's a um, it's one of these things where I tend to think that I mean obviously there are there are physiological effects as well, but I tend to think that part of having energy has to do with doing things one wants to be doing, and that that's sort of a way to to uh, to to get energy, so to speak. Um, and uh, I think, you know, in, in um, uh, I would say, you know, one of the traps, obviously, that people have is you get to a certain point in life and you're doing some job that's paying you well and you've got all kinds of commitments and mortgages and who knows what else. And it's like, well, there might be something else that might be really, really more exciting to you to do, but you just can't get there from here, given, given all the constraints you're under. And I, I think the... Um, you know, people end up, it seems to be an increasing thing in modern times that people end up with more and more serious hobbies, so to speak. And that seems to be often a, um, uh, a thing that, um, um, that that's a good kind of uh, escape valve that people that where people say, well, I, I have no energy, but then guess what, they start doing their hobby. And then they're like, oh, I have lots of energy, because it's something that they want to do. So I, I kind of think, you know, time and energy is a little bit something that one makes for oneself. Uh, at least, uh, you know, if if one's um, uh, that that that's at least part of my impression. Okay, a couple more things here, and then we should wrap up. Boy, there's a question here from Nikolai. Do I perceive myself as an altruist? Um, I suppose. I mean, I, I think, you know, I don't know what what's my um. Uh, I, I tend to, I tend to not like to think of myself as a righteous altruist, so to speak. I end up doing things. I personally get mileage out of doing things which I think are positive for other people, and that is not because. Uh, but you know, I I would not make the claim that I'm doing that out of some matter of. I mean, I do that partly because. I get something out of it in the sense that I feel good about having achieved something positive for other people. I suppose maybe that's, I don't know whether, whether to be an altruist, it's, it's like, um, is it a question of whether you're doing it even though you hate to do it or whether it's, it's okay, 
you know, it, it's kind of the uh, different different theories of ethics or something. Uh, you know, whether you still count as an altruist, even if you like doing the things that are doing positive things for the world, so to speak. So if 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 the latter, then the answer is yes. If the former, I'm I'm not going to claim that I do a lot of quotes altruistic things which I absolutely hate doing. Um, it's uh, uh, you know I think that the, if there's a choice, am I going to do something which is positive for the world versus not? I'll absolutely pick the positive for the world, insofar as I can figure out what that is, because sometimes sometimes it's one of those things where you say I'm going to put out this great idea. Random example, a concept called computational irreducibility, which is a science idea of mine from, from the 1980s that's turned out to be fairly, fairly important for lots of purposes. It's almost certainly the inspiration that led the inventor of Bitcoin to invent you know, kind of the scheme for Bitcoin mining. Well, is that positive for the world? Is that not positive for the world? You know, it burns lots of power. Some people think that's terrible. It uh, is a way to set up a cryptocurrency. Some people think that's great. It's complicated. You know, you put these things out there in the world and things happen. And sometimes it is impossible to predict. And in fact, the very phenomenon of computational irreducibility is all about the difficulty of predicting what's going to happen. And the, the, there is computationally ir, computational irreducibility there was in predicting the outcome of what would happen with computational irreducibility, so to speak. So it's, it's kind of a, a, um, it's a, it's a thing where you think, oh, I'm doing something positive for the world. Let me give another example, interesting perhaps example. So with Wolf Malfa, you know, we put it out there because uh, I thought it was an interesting thing that it can answer lots of questions for people. It's an interesting piece of technology. It's, uh, uh, you know, people have a good time using it. And then we discover quite quickly that lots of people use it to do their homework, maybe to cheat on their homework. Who knows? And it's a question of what do you think to yourself at that point? You know, you've created this thing. It's clearly good for some set of people. Some set of people are able, you know, who would have to go hire tutors can just go use Wolf Malfa, and that's a that's a positive thing. But some other set of people are like, you know, never will learn this or that thing that they would otherwise have learnt, and will get in terrible trouble for for cheating on this or that thing because they use this this the system. And I mean, I would argue that by the time uh, you know, the computer can do it. It's kind of like not the right exercise to say that's the real point for the human, so to speak. But that's that's a different issue. Not. Um, but so, you know, it's it's a complicated thing. Is it, you know, is it altruism when you end up with something which uh, um, uh, has kind of um, where you put something out in the world with the intention that it's going to do good things and maybe it doesn't. And so it's all rather complicated. And I, I, I would say I'm, I'm um, uh, you know, if, if the question is, do I like doing things that have, you know, that, 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 have, uh, that seem to give other people a good time, the answer is yes. Can I explain why from some first principles point of view? No, I can't explain why. That just happens to be the way that I'm, that I'm built, so to speak. And, um, uh, you know, it, it's, um, so I suppose then I might qualify, I might not. All right, just a, one or two more questions here, and then I really should should wrap up. Um, question from Baker: Do I still systematically learn new science from textbooks? Answer: Definitely yes. Um, I, I, I mean, I got a stack of books. There's a bunch of books I can see from here. There's a bunch of books about various aspects of category theory. There's a bunch of books about immunology. 
And let's see. And there's also a bunch of philosophy books that I'm reading. So that's not science, but um, that's philosophy books. Um, some, I, I, I would say that, that um, uh, over the years, I've learned different strategies for learning things. And I have to say that I really can't learn things unless I have a reason to learn them, so to speak. So, you know, learning about immunology, I'm learning about immunology because I think a bunch of theoretical science that I've done recently has the potential to provide a modeling framework for immunology, and I want to see if that will work. Um, and so I'm learning about a lot of details there that are sort of letting me understand whether or not, and it's actually looking rather promising right now, whether or not the things that I've sort of figured out from a basic science point of view are actually relevant or whether the actuality of the immune system is something completely different. So, but, but if it weren't for that, I wouldn't be able to read, you know, page after page of, you know, the CD8 positive T cells do this and that. It's like, I don't care, but I do care because those things, or at least some of those quotes details, some aspects, not, not all of the details in that case, but some aspects of that story are very relevant for looking at the big picture of, is this something that, that the theoretical science I've understood can, can help with? Um, as a comment from O Flame, why is it so hard for independent learners outside of institutions to get access to decent schools and classes? Uh, it's hard not to default to Python because of lack of financing. You see, this is a case where it's like, how does altruism really work? Because, you know, we've made sure that there are ways for people to get access to all of the technology we built without any money changing hands, except that they have to have the connection to the internet, which is presumably, and they have to have a computer because otherwise you don't get to run software unless you're, or do, do computational kinds of things unless you have a computer. But I think, I mean, in, um, uh, you know, I would say that I don't know about other tools, but in terms of every, all the technology we built, I would say that, and, and I see examples of this, that there are people who are very much outside of institutions and so on, who absolutely get, have done very interesting things with technology that we've built. And, uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes they spend a hundred bucks on something, something, sometimes everything is free. Um, it's not uh, a thing where it's like, oh, the only way you're going to get access to this is to spend you know, $50,000 a year by going to a fancy university or something. Um, I think that there's sort of a question of whether, uh, you know, in, in terms of, of um, uh, classes and education and so on, I mean, I would say that, that there are, I mean, in modern times, there's just endless videos of all kinds of classes from all kinds of places and so on people can watch. You know, if, it's an interesting point. If I look at myself and I say, of the things I've learned, how much did it cost to learn those things? The answer is practically nothing. I mean, yes, I'm, you know, let's say my efforts to, I don't know, learn immunology right now. Okay, I did buy a bunch of the textbooks just because I like having the textbooks, but it's unnecessary. I don't really need to have done that. I could have just used web resources and so on. And these textbooks are probably obscenely expensive knowing, knowing those types of books. Um, and uh, the, um, the thing that, um, but mostly, you know, it's not like I'm going to take a fancy class. It's not like I'm doing things that cost a bunch of money. I'm just sitting and trying to figure stuff out by myself and read things by myself. I don't think that's a, um, it's an interesting point. I hadn't really noticed that. It, it's even though I, I, now, you know, 
I sort of quotes cheat in some sense because, you know, in, in many of these fields, if I'm really getting stuck, I will send mail to somebody, you know, some sort of leading person in that field and ask some question. And just because of the sort of what I built up in my life, the, those people, if, if I'm lucky, they'll use a bunch of tools I've built and they'll say, oh, sure, I'll answer your question type thing. Um, and uh, I think, you know, so that's a kind of a, a, an extra little piece that's not a money can buy type thing. That's just a, um, uh, a thing that one can do because one has, you know, actually, I will say one thing that I will say from, you know, I get a rather absurd amount of email, but, but, you know, people will sometimes send in questions and so on. And sometimes, sometimes they'll send in questions that are completely not for me to answer and, um, you know, don't make any sense. So they'll be like telling me about something they're doing and it's like, that's nice, but there's nothing I can do with that. I mean, that's, that's all great, but, but it's like, what do you want me to do with it? Um, and, uh, and sometimes if it's like, you know, can you suggest a place to look for this or that thing? And it's something that is a thing that I specifically worked on or whatever. It's like very easy for me to send back, read this thing that I wrote. And uh, so, you know, it's not, that's not something that you have to have spent a lifetime kind of building up kind of uh, connections and credibility to be able to send that mail. It, uh, you know, so long as the mail is asking a specific question, you're going to get a specific answer. You know, that's something pretty accessible to lots of people, I think. Um, all right, I should probably, um, uh, okay, I'm, a couple of things here. It's a question from Aaron. How is the landscape of investing in technology startups changing? Where do we, I fit in? Look, I think it's a complicated thing because there are times in the history of technology when to make something in a particular area of technology has a minimum investment of X number of millions of dollars. And there are times when, you know, two people and a dog can create something of great value without spending a huge amount of money. And it depends what you're doing. If you're building a fusion device, it's going to cost a certain minimum amount of money. If you're building a... A, a neat piece of uh, sort of software built on some big technology stack like ours, it might cost almost nothing to build it. And it might be all, the value might be in some clever idea or, or something like that. And there are other things where, where you can build it, but unless you can connect to some distribution channel, which could be quite expensive, nothing's ever going to happen with it. So I think the um, this question about investing in technology, it's a question of, what, what do you need to invest to get certain kinds of things out? You know, the, the landscape of investment in technology has definitely evolved over time. I mean, I've, I've seen pieces of this from when I started my first company back in 1981 and got kind of venture capital at that time. It was, uh, that was, you know, when there were only venture capitalists in New York and that was, that was, um, uh, that was, that was that kind of thing through the time when, uh, I remember being at the very first Y Combinator demo day. Um, that was sort of a different form of, uh, of sort of small scale capital and so on. And um, oh, that wasn't really even capital at that point. Um, but, uh, uh, and then it was more kind of branding, I suppose, than, than, and, and actual helping getting companies launched. But, but then, you know, then these various ecosystems of very institutionalized venture capital, um, you know, angel investors, private investors, all these kinds of things. Um, there's, I myself, basically at this point, don't do cash investments in other people's companies. 
I basically decided it's just not a sensible thing to do. I've done it a few times and it's really not been a positive experience. And I think that it's not the way that, that uh, you know, my, my optimization is created lots of technology, some expertise perhaps, um, but, you know, what cash I have, I'm going to tend to use for my own projects, not for somebody else's project, so to speak. It just doesn't make it. I'm not, I'm, there are plenty of people who have tons of cash, don't have the expertise, don't have the technology, use their cash, use, you know, in terms of the investments that, that I and we make, it tends to be technology investments for companies and access to expertise um, within our company, because one feature of our company is that it's had very, um, uh, you know, we, we've been very kind of vertically integrated. We've got sort of all these different capabilities within the company, and we've been doing lots of sort of innovative things in lots of areas. And so we have a kind of tech for equity uh, investment mechanism where we give companies access to a bunch of our internal resources um, to, uh, which I think is, is really super useful based on my observations of what's happened over, over the course of many such, many such examples. Um, because it's like, well, you could go and hire some consultant where you don't really know what you're getting to do this or that, or you could just ask you know, the contact person you have at our company who will go and ask the expert at our company and you have some normalization because you kind of know what our company is sort of about and so on. You have some normalization. Oh, that person, you know, when they come back with this, um, it's, uh, you know, they have a reason to believe that that actually will make sense and so on. So I, I think that's been a, been a rather successful thing for us. Um, and that's, uh, that's, it's typically, you know, tech equity, sometimes a certain amount of time that gets spent of uh, advising companies, which I've done to some extent and, um, uh, and so on. And that's, that, that's the more common uh, form of that. I think, you know, in the, in the general story of technology startups and, um, and, and um, the different sort of, you know, people often have the magic new way to do something involving money. And most of those magic new ways to do things, they work for a little while and then they, you know, and, and if, you're, if you're involved in them right in that first little while, sometimes it can be a big win, but often they, you know, usually it kind of reverts to the mean and there's nothing that special about it. It's like, oh, you can do an ICO. That's a way, you know, initial coin offering. That's just this way to get free money. Well, eventually it isn't free money. It, it has, it sort of normalizes back down to something which has all kinds of regulatory aspects and, and all kinds of expectations on the part of investors. And it's sort of all more of the same. But, but sometimes there are these sort of puffs of, you know, there's this cool way to do something that's new and different that lasts for a few years. And I think in, um, in the current time, I mean, I, I would say that, uh, um, well, I don't know, it, it's, it's complicated because uh, this whole question of, of um, uh, yeah, what, what um, you know, when you are putting together some company, you need certain kinds of things. Money is one of them. Expertise, technology, they tend to be other ones. And it's a question of where's that, you know, where can you get the different kinds of investments that are needed to actually be able to launch something successfully. All right, we should probably wrap up here because I'm late for something else, but um, thanks for lots of interesting uh, questions. And I can see that, um, uh, gosh, we have lots more to cover another time, but I should sign off for now. And thanks for coming and bye for now. You've been listening to the Stephen Wolfram Podcast. You can view the full Q&A series on the Wolfram Research YouTube channel. 
For more information on Stephen's publications, live coding streams, and this podcast, visit stephenwolfram.com.